0: And so uh, if you want to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, that's where we're going to get to towards the end of service. Matthew chapter 7. Today we're on our final installment of our four-part series called It's the End of the World as We Know It. And church fantasy out. And I feel fine. Yes, I feel fine. And what we've been doing is looking at the state of our world, and we have taken a step back and really looked just kind of our current place. We've looked at the current events, um, the climate of the political realm, uh, the world realm, uh, climate changes, all that stuff, uh, the the wars, and rumors of wars. And we kind of came to this realization that if you just look at our world as a whole picture, um, our world's not looking so great. Our world's kind of a, in, in a bad shape. In fact, you can turn on TV, talk with a friend over coffee, uh, look at our social media, and you'll find out that it looks like our world is really about to collapse. It's like almost that game like Jenga. You're going to take out that one Jenga piece away, and the whole thing's just going cl- to kind of collapse and fall apart. And we're thinking, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? Uh, hostility and conflict is on the rise. We have been in, in a war for many, many years now. Um, and there's other countries that have been at war. And it's just on the rise. Uh, Love for one another, just human love, just one for another, um, in spite of our differences, is lacking. And uh, that's a huge issue because now uh, people are getting bashed over. There's even wars being started over human differences. Um, we have the rapid development of technology. We have this thing called AI, artificial intelligence. It's not a sci-fi movie anymore. It's real. It's happening. It's being developed right now. And we love our technology, don't we? I mean, I'm preaching off an iPad. I've got a smartphone. I, I got an iPhone 6. Anyone get the new iPhone 11 here yet? Anyone get the new fi- iPhone 11? iPhone 11. Uh, so yeah, she, she's pointing and she's like, I ain't raising my hand because I'm that weird person right there. Uh, but no, we love our technology and there's a new phone coming out every few months. Uh, we love our computers. We love those things. But the thing with technology is as it is being produced, it's replacing human jobs. And so now the need for human physical work is reducing. So people are getting laid off left and right, and uh, people are not getting paychecks, and it's causing an issue for us. And so technology is doing all that. And so it really looks like our world might be going to hell in a handbasket. And we're trying to figure out what is our place as Jesus followers in this world. If it feels like doom and gloom, What do we do? And I want to get to this point where the world can scream, the world is ending as we know it, but us as Jesus follows, we get to this place towards that very end in parentheses that says, But I feel fine. I'm okay. I'm going to be all right. And so that'll be my prayer for you through this entire series. And we're gonna wrap up today uh, with, again, each of these uh, messages has been very hard-hitting, very heavy, Uh, and this will be one of the last ones. And we're gonna switch gears here because uh, this has even been heavy for me and kind of really just realizing all the negativity in our world. So each week, we've been looking at different issues concerning the world, uh, such as first week, you know, if if humans were so great, uh, why haven't we figured out the solution to all the problems in the world? human progress we've been developing for a long, long time. But even though we think we got it all, we truly don't. And this knowledge of good and wisdom, of good and uh, evil, the knowledge of it that we have, um, it gives us enough knowledge to identify issues, but not enough wisdom to solve it. So we talked about that. Week two, uh, we talked about, yes, the world's going to end, but we need to stop focusing on how the world is going to end, but we need to focus on the who and why in that we kind of wrapped up. We didn't really talk about eschatology, a very fancy church word, talking about end times, the book of Revelation. We've dabbled it in just a little bit, but we kind of came to this conclusion that it's really not about the end of the world. It's about the end of your world. What happens when you die? And so we talked about when it comes to the end of the world, uh, your life is hinged on a choice, and Jesus invites you to choose him. In week three, we talked about the big one uh, how suffering happens to everyone, and it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not, suffering is going to happen. Um, and Jesus even told us so plenty of times in scripture. But it looks like when it comes to this wrestling match between good and evil, it looks like evil's always winning. And we concluded that even when we think God is about to lose, God already has the victory. And so we looked at the point where Jesus died on the cross, and it looked like all hope was gone, and it was just, it was done. But we read the rest of the story. Jesus raises from the dead, conquers death, and it was actually, we left it on a very encouraging note. And so today, uh, we're talking about one more heavy hitter, and we're talking about us versus survival, us Versus survival. Ever since I was a kid, I was obsessed with learning the tricks of surviving in the outdoors. Anyone here with me, boy or girl in the room? Like, you're kind of obsessed. How do I survive outside? I was in a church version of Boy Scouts all my life called Royal Rangers. Any Royal Rangers in the room? A couple of people. Right on. Yes. Over here. Someone over here giggled at me. Yeah. I had the vest. I wore the khakis. I did it all. We didn't sell any cookies or anything like that. But what we did is we learned, uh, every time we gathered, uh, we, we, uh, we learned scripture and discipleship and all that. And then towards the very end, we learned like really cool boy stuff. Like how do you throw a boy, bowie knife and stick it in the tree? Do, do not, we don't teach this next generation that anymore. We, we, can't, we stepped away from that. It might have been a smart move. Uh, but we, we learned how to throw an ax and handle knives properly. We learned how to start a fire from nothing and how to bake potato over coals and all this stuff. And that we'd, uh, we'd earn like little badges. And, and it was just a really, really cool time for my life. So I always loved that. But then as I got older, the TV shows start rolling out. And I fell in love with those. Have you guys ever heard of uh, Bear Grills? Their grills, right? The crazy guy that he just—he kind of get dropped off in the middle of nowhere and teach you how to survive and find help. Another one that I really liked was called Survivor Man. You guys watch Survivor Man? Uh, where a team would like literally drop him off like from a tragedy. But the kicker was is that he was by himself. He had to record everything by himself. And so you know, I thought it was so weird because he hiked up halfway this mountain for one shot and he had to hike all the way back down and grab the camera and walk back all the way up. And it was just this really crazy stuff. And he taught you how to just do some really, some, maybe some nasty things sometimes. Like I would never do that. I'd pick death over drinking my own urine, right? Anyone here? Okay, those guys didn't raise their hands, good on you. All right, you guys can try that. Uh, another show that was actually on the funny side was called Dual Survivor. You guys seen Dual Survivor? It was really hilarious because they would uh, pair up a green beret, so big macho military guy, with kind of a hippie vegan. Dude, and so they pair him up and say, you guys go survive out in the wild together. And so this guy's learning how to weave baskets and you know and eating the trees and thanking the trees for their nutrients. And this guy's out there with his like makeshift like Bowie knife and he's just taking on animals and, and they get in arguments. I thought it was hilarious. I don't know if you guys find that funny, but I'm like trying to put two opposite personalities, make them survive together. But then there's this one show that just went completely extreme. And I was wondering how in the world Was it going to make it? And it's still on today, and it's such an interesting show. Um, There is nudity in it, and it's called Naked and Afraid. Have you guys heard of that show? It is crazy. Come on, be honest. I've seen the show, okay? But it's an interesting concept where, where they get two people, a male and a female. They throw them out in the wild, buck naked, and say, survive for 21 days, Yep, I had the same reaction as you have right now. It was like, how is this going to work? Is this kind of awkward? What's happening? And it's one of the biggest hits now. But our whole world, you kind of look at these shows, our whole world is trying to figure out how do we survive? That's really why these shows are on. The world wants to know how do we survive? And then we have other shows, spin like Doomsday Preppers and you know how to how to can for the nuclear attack and all this stuff. And so the world is asking. How do I survive? If the economic world collapses, how do I survive? If so-and-so gets into office, how do I survive? And if we even look even deeper, last week we looked at suffering, and we looked at the top search results on Google, and people are looking at all over on how to survive, not just in this world, but how do we survive in the midst of suffering? How do we survive in the midst of suffering? Like what is my personal survival guide when bumps come into my life? When I hit a pothole, or there's a big cliff in front of me, or a big mountain that I had to metaphorically climb, like how do I survive that? What's my personal survival guide for the pitfalls and bumps in the road ahead? But I wanna take that question just a tad bit further for us. Instead of asking how do I survive, I believe the better question is, can I thrive? Because here's the thing, if you believe in Jesus and you read scripture and you know the Bible, Jesus isn't just about survival for his people. We're not just supposed to scrape by our entire life, that there's actually a part that we can thrive and have life here on this earth, even though it's just just for a few moments. Because again, it's my personal opinion, but I don't think we're created to claw our way through. I don't think we were supposed to do that. Now, we have seasons of suffering. So please hear me this morning. You're not hearing some weird prosperity teaching saying, believe in Jesus and all the bad goes away. That's actually a complete lie. That's false. Don't go to that church. Run away from that pastor. Not good. If I preach that, run away from me. Don't go to this church. It's not good. But I am saying that there's seasons of suffering and there's seasons of prosperity where you can actually thrive. And that's kind of the walk of the Christian life. And especially since there's so many scriptures that talk about having life to the fullest, life of fulfillment, even use terms like I just used like prosperous. And, and, and I, would have to, I would have to ask like, man, if this world's all about survival, Lord, how do I thrive in this? Because there's a lot of times where I just feel like I'm just surviving. And really people, when it comes to handling suffering, We're not the pros at this. Uh, We do some not so helpful things when it comes to handling suffering. In fact, here are some four things that I've quickly found that some studies did that uh, these are kind of what people's mindset is when it comes to avoid suffering. This is what they do. The first one is this. uh, People have the mindset of nothing bad will ever happen to me. Like they keep like nothing bad will ever happen. Well, newsflash, bad happens to everyone. I don't care who you are, what faith you come from, what pedigree, how much money you have, bad will come into your life. You guys are dismissed, be encouraged. We'll see you next week. <laughs> I mean, Jesus even said that. Yeah. Jesus said, know that if you follow me, expect the trials, expect the tribulations, expect the issues, the problems that come in your life, and don't catch them, you off guard. Don't be surprised by them. It's going to happen. The second mindset, people have this mindset to avoid suffering is the rules of suffering don't apply to me. Like you think you're an exception, it'll happen to everyone else, but not you because you're you. And that is true to a point, the rules don't apply to you until they do. It's almost like going over the speed limit. Everyone does it, I do it all the time. Says 75, I'm going 80, happens all the time. And there's some states where I get away with 80, there's some states I get pulled over for doing 80 in a 75, and they tell me, "Hey, um, we don't go by the whole five-mile margin. The rules say 75, so you better go 75." You see, the rules don't apply to you until they do. So you can eat as much food as you want to and think I'm going to be my health is going to be all right. It's going to be great until it's not. You can make the choices of sleeping around with everybody that you want and say, I'll be fine, I'll be protected, I'm okay, until you're not. The rules don't apply to you until they do. The third mindset is, I can control my life well enough to avoid pain. Any, any controllers in the house this morning? Like, you just control, like, you think you can control your life? It's, it's, it's like one of the things that, like, people are like, don't speak the C word in my house because I'm going to try to take control and cancer won't get me, right? Like don't speak bad health or that bad juju will get all over me. Like I don't need that right now. You know, you, we know people like that, right? Don't speak that, don't speak it. Don't, almost like if you say the word, it's going to happen. And what they're doing, they're trying to take control to avoid that pain and that mindset is false. It's not going to help out. The fourth one is this. Um, if I'll obey God, then I'll be exempt. And again, if you hear a pastor preach this, don't go to his church. you hear me, preach this, don't go to my church. Because if you obey God, guess what? It's gonna happen. And I would dare say even more. Man, I I signed up for Christianity, so I have a good life, an easy life. Well, (laughs) no, because as soon as you sign up, you have a big old bullseye in the back for the enemy to run after. He's gonna do everything he can to destroy your life. And so just because you obey God, it doesn't mean you will be exempt. In fact, this is total nonsense because when I read the heroes of faith in the Bible, every one of them went through seasons of suffering, every extreme suffering. And really, this is what we call religion, that we it's kind of the mindset, if I obey God, God will take care of me. That's actually the definition of religion. I'll obey God, God will take care of me. And In fact, what we believe is that, hey, God loves me, and so I want to be with God. God loves you so much, I want to do what God wants me to do. Because we operate out of love, not for our own selfish ambition. And that's the difference. So those are kind of the mindsets. And maybe some of us, we fall in those categories. But all these tendencies really point to this one thing. We focus on the thing you can't control. Ignore the things you can control. When it comes to our suffering, we focus on the things you can't control. Ignore the things you can control. Like we get so upset with the guy at work or the traffic of the day and the weather, right? We get upset with those things. I use the analogy because this happens every, almost every single Sunday, is we'll go through McDonald's and I'll order our family the food. And my wife is a very plain eater, so she always gets a number two plain with cheese cheese. That's what she gets every time. And I make sure I want a number two plain with cheese. Sir, I don't see it on the screen. Can you put number two plain with cheese? I mean, sir, you do not know my wife. If you do not make it plain, it's not gonna be a good godly day. And so I kind of nail it. Down. I'm kidding. She's not, <laughs> she's not like that. And so we get the food and it's almost like a wrap. And i think, babe, you need to check your food. This is it number two plain with cheese? You need to check it, oh, I'll be fine. No, babe, you need to check it. This is it number two plain with cheese. We get all the way home. She opens it up and guess what? It's a number two pickles, onion, mustard, everything on it. Suffering. (laughs) We get so upset with this. And you know why we get upset with it? Because it's out of our control. I can't control the guy. I can't control whether it's going to be sunny or rainy that day. And we focus on the things that we can't control. We get upset with our spouse and how they're doing everything wrong or the the kids and how they're doing everything wrong. You focus on all these things that you can't control, but you ignore the things you can. We ignore the things you can. And when you have this mindset of the problem's not me, it's this, suffering is produced. In fact, let me say it this way. I think this this is going to step on some toes. I'm going to say it again. But most of our suffering in your life is caused by you. I love you guys. You guys still love me this morning? You guys good? Okay. All right. Most of the suffering in your life is caused by you. Most of the suffering in my life is caused by me. Because we focus on the things you can't control. You try to take control. And you ignore the things that you can obviously control. And so we have this mindset of the, it's not me, it's my spouse. It's not me, it's my kids. It's not me, it's work. It's not me, it was the guy at McDonald's that didn't give my wife a number two playing with cheese. It's that guy's fault. And we say, it's not me. It's all these external circumstances. And suffering is produced or maybe maybe you're like me and you have the issue of amplifying what's wrong with the world like we know what's wrong let me get a little closer home we have the issue of amplifying what's wrong with others so you don't put the blame on yourself I struggle with this issue. It is one of my biggest insecurities as a pastor. And I didn't know I did this until a few years ago of leading this church and talking with a few mentors of mine some really, really hard seasons of my ministry. And I would go into like pretty much counseling sessions. Counseling is awesome. I, I, would, I would encourage counseling if you need it. It's, it's, it's amazing. So I'd walk in these counseling sessions and I would have this big list of everything that's wrong. And then I would leave with a bigger list of everything that's wrong with me. Sometimes counseling really sucks. It's not that fun. But that's what I would do. I would have this problem of amplifying people's problems and thinking that's why my suffering is the way it is because of so-and-so. If they would change, then I wouldn't be suffering. If, if my kids would do this, I would be better. If my work was more like this, it would be OK. And they would say me blah, blah, blah. You can't control those things. But what you can control is you. So here's the things that you need to figure out about yourself. And so I had to ask this question. I was like, then how do I I fix this? And I found out the secret. Here's the secret. If you want to thrive in this life, church, you need to reverse. You need to reverse the whole thing. You need to start focusing on the things you can control and stop focusing on the things you can't. Focus on the things you can control. Stop focusing on the things you can't. Because when it comes to the problems in our life, and this will be the one of the very few times you'll hear, ever hear me say this, you need to focus on you. If there is ever a place to be selfish in is when it comes to fixing the problems in your life, start with you. Start with myself. Me. And stop looking at other people. And I, we don't do this, we, re, we actually resist this. We like to focus on others and ignore yourself because when we focus on yourself in the midst of your problems, you know what it does? It gives God permission to speak in your life. When you start blaming other people and saying, what is my part in this? God will show up and he'll start pointing it out. And we don't like that, right? It's like walking into another counseling session. Like, here's all my issues, God. God says, well, here's all your issues that you gotta deal with. This is what you're starting off, This is what you're causing. This is, what's, this is what you are doing. These are the things that you can control. I had to learn kind of this whole concept when my wife and I got married. We have a, we have a great marriage. I love my wife. I believe my wife loves me. We'll see if she listens recording the whole number two playing with cheese. We'll see what happens. Um, but I, I, we love our marriage. We look forward to our times together and we really, really love our relationship and, and enjoy one another. But we get in arguments just like everyone else, right? We get in arguments just like everyone else and some of them are resolved pretty quickly. We strive for that. We strive for, for to be quick to forgive. It's one of our family values at our house. But there are some arguments that last for a little bit. Like they get oh, just a little bit out of hand, just, just, just a little bit. And we always have this rule, just a little marriage concept for you. We have this rule that you don't go to bed angry. Like you, you, I don't care how bad the fight is, you don't go to bed angry. And that's not just a Pastor Vaughn thing. That's actually in the Bible. Don't go to bed with your spouse angry. Not good. So don't do that. So we always make this thing. But recently, like, like, I've had this kind of this argument sitting in my heart. And it's just—it's gotten kind of toxic a little bit. And my wife is kind of the opposite thing on this. And I don't know, maybe you guys can help us out with this. But ever since like after Halloween, the Christmas tree has been trying to get set up. And I have, I have this very staunch rule of like, we go through Halloween, we go through Thanksgiving, and on the weekend after Thanksgiving, we can set things up. Like, I will put up the lights so I don't have to do out in the cold, I'll do this. thing, But we're not gonna do anything Christmassy till after we eat the stuffed turkey, right? Right, it, it, that's, that's how the world goes. It's orderly, God is God of order, this is how we're gonna do it, <laughs> all right? So, so we go through this. But then yesterday, it was so nice outside they're like, hey, let's take advantage of this and let's go get the stuff out of the storage. I'm thinking, sure, what stuff are we going to get? Clothes, my hunting stuff, hunting season's up, thank God. And so we're going through all this stuff. And then she pulls out the big red tote. Babe, that's Christmas. I know. And I'm a good husband, right? I'm like, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll compromise. You no, know, marriage, you know, like compromise is sometimes good. So yeah, we'll get all the Christmas stuff and we'll put it in the carport. So we do that and we get there and I sit down and I, and I just got done actually doing a funeral service that morning and it was just kind of all this stuff. And we sit down and I'm tired and she's like, hey, how come you're not on the roof? I'm like, how come you're not on the roof? Like, why am I, what are you asking me? She's like, it's so nice outside. Why won't you, like, why, why won't you put up the lights? And I'm like, because it's not Christmas. We're not going to be that odd guy that puts up everything before we eat the turkey. And so this is kind of a thing that we go through every, every year. And so we, we go through all of this. And I have no idea where this was going. That wasn't even in my notes. <laughs> but we get into like, arguments like that. And that's a funny one. That, that That's a really, really funny argument. But then we do have some really heated arguments where... We just shut down and we're quiet, and we get really, really quiet. And that's kind of my thing because I don't like conflict. But I, I, I shut down and we quiet, and she gets shut down and she, she, she gets really quiet. And I like to say we're, we're trying to. We get quiet because we're looking at ourselves and trying to point like where can I, where and what we're doing. We're quiet because we're secretly yelling at the other person. But we don't yell, that's not what we do. We just get really quiet. (laughs) But there's a point in my quietness that the Holy Spirit speaks and he starts replaying the whole conversation. And he highlights different things like, remember when you got a little snippy and you said that? Well, guess what? That caused to light the fuse and that led to the blow up. So maybe the blow up wasn't the issue, it was the fact that you lit the fuse. And man, that is... That is God coming into your life where you start focusing on yourself in the midst of your problems. God will reveal those issues. And he's saying, that's something you can control. And what usually happens, and it's really hard to do, and I don't know why, but at least for me, I have to be the first one to apologize. Because more times than not, it comes back to me. And that's the same with most of our suffering in this room. It usually comes back to us, you have to start with yourself. And guess what, I start with myself every time when we have these really tough arguments. And when I did, let me tell you, things got better. They did, it's hard to do, but things do get better. I mean, I do this with with my ministry, my parenting, my marriage, my friendships, If if there is a problem as much as it pains me, I focus on myself and ask God to reveal what I could have done better. Where can I develop? What things can I control? And God will show you that you should have done this instead of that. And this is why, church, and I don't want to sugarcoat this, and I want us to know that most of our suffering is produced by us. You can blame all that you can blame. You can blame your work, your spouse, your kids, but it doesn't matter because you can't control those things. But most of the suffering is done, is produced by the things that we can control. So open your Bibles to Matthew 7. If you're there, awesome. If you don't have your Bibles, um, you got there in the notes. Some of you guys are thinking that's a really long intro, We're finally getting to Scripture. No, we're fine. We're okay. But Matthew 7, this is where we get to the Sermon on the Mount and the messages given by Jesus. And really this whole Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It is the premier message given by Jesus. He talks about so many different things and it's very practical. He gives you awesome tools and resources to live by. But this particular one, many times this is taught about who's going to heaven and, and who's not. But in this issue in verse 13, I would argue that Jesus is teaching us how to live right now with the troubles and suffering, that if you want to live a life without suffering produced by you, this is how. I want you to I want us to read this. Verse 13, he says this you can enter God's kingdom only through a narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever. Find it. Now this is Jesus, and he's dropping this kind of bomb of truth right now because he just got done preaching in five and six. And it's all this stuff that talks about sexual immorality, talks about money, he even talks about divorce, how to live, and it's all this really, really heavy stuff. And he says, guess what? If you want to live life and life to the fullest till you get to heaven, to me, this is what you need to do. And he's saying this is because more times when we hear the stuff like what you're hearing right now, there's two responses in the room. The first response is yes and amen. The second one is, nah. Nah, I don't think so. And Jesus is getting the exact same response with this mass that's following me. He's preaching this. People are like, I don't want to treat my money that way. Uh, My sex life is my life. I wanna divorce and do whatever I wanna do. I wanna live how I wanna live. And Jesus is saying, yes, you can do that. That is your right. But guess what? You're walking on the wide road and a lot of people do that. In fact, you might find other people on that road to complain with. And you might think you're right because everyone else on that wide road is exactly like you. But he's saying, if you really, really, really want to live this life Without all the external suffering that's produced by you, live according to this. When it comes to money, do this. When it comes to your sex life, do this. When it comes to hard topics about suffering and divorce and immorality and evil and sin, do this. Because here's the thing, church the suffering is produced by us because we step outside of God's guidelines. And there's, we call it natural consequences. That if you do A plus B, you're going to get C. If you want to have sex with whoever you want to, guess what? This is going to happen. Don't be caught off guard if it does, because you went outside of God's parameters. I know this is hard, church, trust me. I know this is hard because we think we are mature and we got it all figured out. But the reality of things is that we don't. And we have to walk within the guidelines of Jesus Christ. And so he's teaching this. And even in verse 24, he says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it, he's actually wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Which I love this because the Bible is full of equations. You guys know this if you've been here for a while. I love biblical equations where again, A plus B equals C. He's saying this right here. He says, if you listen Plus, follow it equals wisdom. Now, it seems simple because what we do as Christians, we get the first part right. We listen, but we never do the following stuff. And Jesus is saying if you just show up on Sunday morning and you hear the word, and that's all you do, it is useless. You can listen to all the great podcasts in the world. You can listen to all the biblical stuff. You can listen to all this stuff. But until you put it into application, you're not going to get the wisdom to guide you through this suffering in this world and help you avoid the suffering that's produced by you. And just reading this verse, if we just come up and show up to learn and not do anything It won't do any good. But if you listen to Jesus' teaching, follow it, you're going to get wisdom. It's like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. And then Jesus goes into an awesome illustration that I'm going to walk us through. He's talking about this this teaching. I'll just just read it. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, which I love this because you need to understand, you can build your house on the rock and guess what? Storms will still come against you. It's not sunny. He's not on Cocoa Beach. He's not in Aruba living in a nice little palm hammock or anything like that. Storms are still hitting this wise guy's house. So know that even if you do follow and listen and apply Jesus' teaching, expect the storms to come. Expect them to come. But the catch is, it's not going to collapse. Verse 25 at the end. It won't collapse because it's built on the bedrock. If your house is built on the rock and you learn how to be the things that Jesus values, to be humble and be generous and show unconditional love to everyone. When you follow what Jesus taught and you trust him with your life, you do this, your house is built on the firm foundation and when the storms of this life happens, guess what? You're not going to fall. The suffering won't be produced by you. And trust me, the reason we suffer in suffering is because we realize deep down the suffering is our fault. That's the agony of it all. A lot of suffering is produced by me and I'm angry and I'm suffering because I know it's produced by me. That You guys heard this. Man, I wish I didn't do that. Man, if I could go back in time, I would do it differently. I wish I didn't make that choice. I wish I didn't go into debt and get a credit card. I wish I didn't sleep with so-and-so because now it's resulted in this. I, I wish I, I, I would have done it this way. Or here's the big one I hear all the time. I wish I knew now, I wish I knew then what I knew now. And you know what? Those phrases don't help out your suffering at all. And Jesus is saying, Man, if you just listen to my teachings, you're going to be wise. So, what if your house isn't built on the rock? Well, Jesus touches on that too. He says, But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it, another addition, you're going to be foolish. Like a person who builds house on sand, when the rains and the floods come, and the, wind, the winds been, uh, beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. You go through a suffering that you could have avoided earlier. When you want to live life your way and you want to be what you want because you think you're entitled to that, oh man, you wanna know a big step stumbling block is entitlement today? That causes suffering. And here's, the, and here's the deal because I know we're walking out of this thing like, I, was, I, I can do what I want to do. And you're completely right. You can do whatever you want to do. That is your right living in this world. You can do whatever you want to do. And, but my belief is in the Bible and Jesus, and I see what it says. And it says, when you do that, you cause more suffering for yourself, you get yourself into trouble. And so all this means, comes down to this, is that you need to start with yourself. Is there something you need to do differently? Is there something you need to apologize for? Do you need to reconcile a relationship? Or do you just need to flat out just cut that person out of your life, which sometimes it calls for that. But this can go with the simplest of things, that you're suffering because you don't have a job. Oh, I hear this a lot too. I mean, this is kind of like a soapbox Sunday a little bit. Um... I hear all the time, Pastor Vaughn, I need your prayer. Okay, what do you need prayer for? Man, I need some money. Like, okay, cool. Well, let's, let's start from the step, like the first step of if you want money rule book. Do you have a job? No, I, I don't have a job. Why don't you have a job? Well, it's just, it, it cuts into to, to this life. I need to do this and do that. And I, but I just need your prayer, Vaughn. That's, that's really what I need. I just, can you pray that God will give me money? Well, here's the thing. God's not gonna give you money if you're not wise with your finances in the first place. Right? That's just wisdom, stewardship, one-on-one in scripture. And this goes with the simplest of things. If you want money, go get a job, right? If you're complaining about your health, go to the gym, if you need gas in your car, just go get another job. <laughs> like, it, it's, it's, it's 101, and, and it's so easy. And, and I'm picking on this because this is my generation and the next generation. You know, that's kind of their, their syndrome right now. But it's, it's the easiest things. You just, some, most of the things that you're suffering, you can control. You can control it. And so I would say this. Act on what you can control. Trust God with what you can't. Act on what you can control. Trust God with what you can't. Jordan B. Peterson, he's a, a Canadian uh, doctor. And he says this. It, it's kind of, it's not a lengthy thing, but we're going to wrap up here. But he says this by Jordan B. Peterson about suffering and the things that we can control. He says this. Pay attention. Fix what you can fix. Don't be arrogant in your knowledge. Strive for humility because totalitarian pride manifests itself in intolerance, oppression, torture, and even death. Become aware of your own insufficiencies, your cowardice, malevolence, resentment, and hatred. Consider, oh, this is a very strong word, but consider the murderous of your own spirit before you dare accuse others before you attempt to repair the fabric of this world. He's saying, start with you, stop blaming everyone else. Maybe it's not the world that's at fault. Maybe it's you. You failed to make the mark You've missed the target, which that is the very definition of sin. You've missed the mark. You've fallen short of the glory of God. You've sinned. All of that is your contribution to the insufficiency and evil of the world. Oh, man. Don't you just want to punch Jordan in the face right now? Like, (laughs) because of who we are and we mess up, that actually contributes to the suffering in this world. We play the blame game and we point the finger to everyone else and you can be, you, you can be the first one, you just got to start with yourself. You can go on back to Matthew 7. He says it in the very simple, he says, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye? You guys heard this story? When you have a log in your own, how can you say, thinking to your friend, hey, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye, when you can't see past the big log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye and then you'll see well enough to deal with everyone else's problems. I, I That was Vaughn's version on that one. (laughs) And so I hammered down on this just to bring some good news towards the end. And if the worship team wants to come up. When we bring the suffering in our life, just like Jordan says, we've fallen short. We've messed up. We've sinned. But here's the good news. Because Jesus knows our humanity, he knows our issues. He knows the temptations. He knows all this stuff. But he loves you so much. He does not leave you in your own suffering produced by you. You see, if I did something, it reminds me of kind of like my, my, my own parents. I would go out and we had this horrible game of throwing dirt clops towards each other. This is what boys do, All right. And more times than not, we would throw a bigger dirt clob and it, it would, it's bound to hit someone in the eye. And so one of us brothers, sometimes it was me, I'd be running in and my, my, my eye and maybe a bloody nose and I'm crying and, and I'm, ah. he's like, what, what happened? What happened? I'm like, we were throwing dirt clobbs and it got me in the eye and he's, why are you complaining to me? You did it. It's kind of a tough love thing. Go back out there. No, that, that's worldly parenting love. Jesus, he loves you so much. It could be your 1,000th game of throwing dirt clods at someone and you got hit in the eye for the 1,000th time again and you're running and you're screaming to Jesus and you're blaming everyone else. And he says, do you know what? I get that. Maybe you shouldn't be throwing dirt clubs at each other. You guys get the metaphor in this, right? But let me help you to be bigger than this. Let me teach you how to not be hurt by your own suffering. Let me bring some healing into your life and let me forgive you of your mess up. You see, that is the Jesus that we serve, the God that we love. He loves you too much to leave you in your own suffering. So here are two two things, two things, two action steps I got for you. Number one is this, it's on the back of your, uh, take it further notes, is what would happen if you acted on the suffering you can control rather than focusing on the suffering you can't control? Number two, what would happen if you started praying about what you can control? It takes it a whole new level. You guys see that? What happens if you start praying about the things you can control and trusting God with what you can't? Because guess what? You can't control your coworker. You can't control the workplace. You can't control this town. What you can do is trust God with it. Stop making it your problem and give it to God. In fact, God's the only person that I know that wants your problems. Because I sure don't, (laughs) but God wants them. And he wants to give you the solution. Church, if, if you go here, you walk this narrow road that Jesus talked about, because some, some of us right now, you're feeling so crushed because you know the suffering you're in. You know the issues that you caused and you realize the, what it produces. And you know you're wrong and you need to correct some things but you're so scared of what would happen if you bring it to Jesus and you bring it to light. Let me be honest with this next part. It is going to be painful when you ask God to come in and give you a solution to your problems. Sometimes, at more, more times, it means confessing to the person of what you did or being the first one to apologize and it is painful. But as soon as you do that, It gets better. Read James 5, and James 5 talks about that. It gets better. So if you can do this with me, if you can bow your heads and close your eyes.